Last week uh, when we met, I, I shared an analogy uh, of a man entering a cafe and after sitting for a while and finally getting some help, he surmised that nobody was expecting him. They, they weren't ready to help him out. And so I, I drew out several conclusions, one of which is that you know, if we expect visitors to come in, then, then we would probably be here a little earlier and we could greet them and welcome them in as you would a visitor coming into your house. Uh, and I walked in uh, this morning uh, after having been in the back for a little while. I came up to the front and it was probably five minutes till nine and I was not expecting to see what I saw. Lots and lots of people. And that can mean one of several things. It either means that you're actually listening and um, taking heed to the fact that we want to welcome people, or you're just used to getting up early because of the time change. I, I don't know which one, but I'm going to lean towards the first one because we are a family who wants to welcome people in, and I appreciate those of you who made a concerted effort. It's, it's wonderful to see your faces and, uh, and to be here and to meet and greet other people. And I'll let you know that this morning, uh, you're probably going to hear a little different message than you heard last week. But before we get into that, let's go ahead and begin with a time of prayer. God, I just pray that whatever comes um, from my lips this morning uh, have nothing to do with my thoughts or any agendas uh, or any presuppositions that I have made based on the text. But I, I, I pray that you remove uh, any of me and and be filled with all of you so that these are your words uh, and that we can grow closer to you through hearing them. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Uh, the, la last week was a little bit of a browbeating, tongue-lashing sermon uh, in that we are called to something greater. There's a challenge in which uh, God gives each one of us through His Son, Jesus. Uh, and it's not the invitation that He's limiting when we talk about this idea of this higher calling. Jesus is not saying, I'm only letting certain people in, I'm only inviting a few people. But ultimately what He's going to say is, those who have accepted that invitation, those who have come to join me, there is something that we can expect Last week we dodged a few bullets and scrunched up our toes as we listened to Jesus challenge us to be the salt and the light. Because if we call ourselves Christians and we represent Him and yet we don't live up to the call that He has for us, then not only have we not done good to His name, then we've done harm to His name. Last month a story broke in the bicycling world that just turned it upside down. Many of you, even those who have never been on a bicycle without training wheels, know of the name of Lance Armstrong. You remember years ago, the first little uh, bands that came out were yellow and they said, live strong on them. And it was for this organization that Lance Armstrong had created after surviving cancer and not only competing in the Tour de France, he won, won it seven times in a row. It was amazing. And then just a few months ago, last month, the story broke. He was doing drugs. 
He was partaking of different types of steroids in order to help him to win. And over the course, it took years and years for him to amass all those titles. And it took just a moment until everything was stripped from him. They took away his seven titles. His sponsors began dropping left and right. The millions of dollars that he had tied up in those sponsors disappeared. He had to step down as the president of Livestrong, this company that had raised millions of dollars for cancer research, and he lost it just like that. Nike was one of the companies. They tend to do a really good job of determining who's going to be the ones who represent them. Ultimately, like every other group that dropped him, these businesses says, said, we don't want him representing us because he gives us a bad name by the way that he cheated. We would be better off that he didn't have our name and our logo attached to him Because if he walks around with a Nike swoosh on his shirt, what that says is, is that we condone the activity that he has participated in over the last several years and said, we're not going to have anything to do with it. It would be better off that he didn't wear the name of Nike. Those are a, a pretty harsh judgment, but in some ways, I think that's the judgment that God lays down on his people. He says, if you want to represent me, if you want to be a Christian and call yourself as such, then you have a higher standing. But don't walk around saying that you follow me, but live differently. That was the message that Jesus shared in Matthew chapter 5, 14 through 16, 13 through 16. And that's what we looked at last week is that we are to be the salt and the light. We do have a higher calling, but why? As you look at the closing words of verse 16, it's very clear. So that people may see our good deeds, and here's the kicker, and praise their Father in heaven. It's all for the glory of God. That we have a higher calling, not so that we can look good or we can feel great. It is so that God alone can be glorified. What we're going to do now is look at verse 17 of Matthew chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, if you would, go ahead and turn with me there. We're going to be looking at four verses, 17, 18, 19, and 20. These verses are kind of confusing because after what he just did, we have the Beatitudes. And they were beautiful and they give these promises to all these people who had been beaten down and left out and all alone. Jesus says, blessed are you because I'm here to comfort you. I'm here to take care of you. I'm here to offer you something that the rest of the world won't offer you. And then he gets into the salt and light and that's when everybody, including those listening at that time, sitting on the side of that mountain said, wow, I don't know about this. This is still early on in Jesus' ministry. Clearly, he's uh, gained a following quickly and lots of people are listening. And then he shares the salt and the light. And scholars who look at this sermon, 5, 6, and 7, say, we have just concluded with the introduction. Verse 16 marks the end. and verse 17, we get into the body of the sermon. 
But it seems like there might be a little disconnect. What happened with you are the salt and the light to all of a sudden, you know, we're talking about the fulfillment of the law. What is Jesus really talking about? Well, the first thing that we need to do is we need to just listen to His words. So if you have your Bible open with me, don't, don't believe the words that I say. I want you to look down and read these red letter words of Jesus starting in verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great. In the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. I want to talk this morning about this righteousness that's referred to earlier as he's talking about the Beatitudes. And I want to talk specifically about who Jesus is, what he does. And I'm even going to suggest that there's one thing that Jesus wouldn't be good at. Jesus is our Savior. And He's our Redeemer. He's our Lord and our King and our Master. He's the only one who could do what He did. He was the one spotless Lamb who was sacrificed, who chose to sacrifice for us. But I want to suggest to you that while Jesus did those and did those well and better than anything, any, any better than anybody else could do, there's one thing I don't think Jesus would be good at. I don't think that Jesus would be a very good preacher of a mega church. I don't think Jesus would have done a good job being a preacher at a mega church. Let me share with you some of the words that Jesus, the commands that Jesus had. While he did many things well, one thing he wouldn't do well is be a preacher of a megachurch. He invited everyone with his love, but he chased off many with his requirements. Here's some of the things that he said, The Son of Man has no place to lay his head, indicating that if you choose to follow him, that it means you leave home and you may not have a place to live. If anyone comes after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me daily. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You think that's going to draw in people? How about this one? Turn the other cheek. Or if somebody wants to sue you and take your coat, let them have your cloak as well. How about this one? If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus' church keeps getting smaller and smaller, doesn't it? 
No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. John chapter 6, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. That actually is one of the ones that caused many of His followers to leave Him. What's amazing is that Jesus wasn't looking for a mega church. He wasn't trying to start a big, build a big building and full of fill it full of people who came together because they felt good and they were happy and they were warm. Jesus warned them that if this is the lifestyle that you want, if you want to follow me, I want you to know you're going to have no place to lay your head and people will persecute you and you need to rejoice when people persecute you. And when people hit you on the cheek, you turn the other cheek. If he had started off with a megachurch and gave this sermon, I want you to know the next week he shows up to preach, I think that number's cut in half. If people are really honest about, is this who we want to follow? And if you don't believe me, go look in John chapter 6. He feeds 5,000 men. That's not including the women, children, potentially 15,000, 20,000 people. He feeds them, he goes away for a little bit. The same day, next day, he comes back. They're all there. And they're looking for a handout. They're looking for some more food. They're ready to start this revolution. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, Hey, this is not about what I can give you. This is about being a follower. And that's when He said, Hey, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no part of me. Listen to what John chapter 6 records at the very end. From this time, many of his disciples turned away and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave me too, Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy Spirit. One of God. You want to know why they chose to follow Him? Because he, they knew that He was the one difference, the one transformational change that could take place in their life, that could bring them in relationship to God, that nothing else could. See, as long as we weigh our options and we leave something hanging out over the edge, well, if God doesn't work out, I'll always have this. Or if God doesn't come through here, I'll always have this. Jesus is clear that you have to give up everything to follow me. The crowds left. They said, it's, His teaching is too hard for us. And then He begins with the fulfillment of the law. Which begs the question, what did Jesus think about the Old Testament? This is a, a coffee mug that I've had for a couple of years now. Uh, it says, uh, it has a picture on the front of a, uh, a building where the church meets. It says, Fourth and Elm Church of Christ on it. They, they made these, I, I went there I guess in 05, they made them I guess just before that. And then there's a verse on here that I'll read later. But at the bottom it says, Joe Bagby. Some of you recognize that name because I've talked about him before. Uh, he was the little 5 foot, 100 pound preacher that 
that was my mentor and my friend in, in so many ways. And after he got sick, now he drank coffee all the time. I never drank coffee. And he gave me a hard time about drinking, not drinking coffee. Uh, and he would drink coffee, and he always drank it out of this. It was his cup. It had his name on it. Not like anybody would steal his coffee, but, I mean, he still had it. And he would drink from this. And after he passed away, Paula, his, his wife, his widow, uh, gave this to me. Um, and it, it has a very special place in my heart. Um, I, don't drink, I don't drink coffee very often, but when I do, I drink from this mug. And it reminds me a lot of what Jesus thinks about the Old Testament when I think about this mug. You see, as we look back, so many ways, the Sermon on the Mount mirrors what happened in Exodus uh, chapter 19 and 20 when God gave the Ten Commandments. And the reason why He gave the Ten Commandments was pretty simple. He says, I'm coming down to live among you. And so I have a higher calling for you. And so I'm going to have these set of rules in which you can abide by. Uh, and, and in many ways, he said, I'm coming to fill your life. And in my analogy and estimation, you could say that those laws resemble this mug. You see, because God said... You have to have a way in which to contain my spirit. And the way that you do it is that you follow my precepts and my laws. Anybody know anything about Psalm 119? There, there's something special about Psalm 119. It's, it's, thank you, Terry. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. 176 verses. 176 verses, every one of them talks about the law, the rules, the precepts of God. They take the Hebrew alphabet and start with what would be our A, and they go down and, and verse 1 uses that A, and then it goes down to B, 2, and it goes through there eight times, and every time it talks about the law and the precepts of God. We're most familiar with verse 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The word, the law of God. 176 verses talking about the law and what it means to our life. And in many ways, that law makes up this container. The container which then can be filled with the Spirit of God. But let me tell you something. Just because you have a cup doesn't make it full. You see, it's nice to be the salt of the earth, to be the type of people that live and do these things that good Christian people do. But if it's empty, it means nothing. It means nothing. To do all these laws, keep them, but not have God living and working in your life. God didn't provide a whole bunch of commandments. I believe the number is around 230. 
the chief priests, they, they made some changes to it. The religious leaders, they decided that that wasn't enough, that God really meant to have more. At one point, the count was somewhere around 631 laws that they would keep. And they ranked the laws, which ones were important and which ones weren't. And they constructed a cup. And the cup would get bigger and bigger and bigger because they would have more and more laws. But Jesus says, your cup is empty. There is no Spirit of God dwelling in it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 uses this analogy when he talks about these jars of clay. Jesus says, listen here. You can have this cup of righteousness, but if it's empty, you're not really righteous. What did Jesus think about the Old Testament? Verse 17 says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Why would he make that statement? Why would it be important for him... To say, inform everyone, listen, I'm not coming to break down the law. Why would that be necessary to to make such a statement? I think there's a couple of reasons why. I think one of the reasons is he had already broken the, the laws, lowercase l with the S on the end, that had been created by the religious institution. The way that He did things on the Sabbath that they thought had to be wrong. Because they had made these laws that on the Sabbath you don't do this and this and this. And if you see a lame man laying down, well you can't help him on the Sabbath because, you know, that's God's day. And surely God wouldn't do anything like that on the Sabbath. And so we don't do those types of things. And they go around looking for people who would do those things on the Sabbath and say, you're wrong. God doesn't want you to do those things. They had created these laws and these stipulations by them. Listen to this. If they found a Jew who was laying down, who a fence had fallen on this person and they were trapped underneath, they created a law that as a Jew, if you saw another Jew down in that heap, you could pick up the rocks and remove them from that heap. But they didn't end there. If it was a Gentile, who was laying under those rocks, and it was the Sabbath, keep on walking. That's the law that they made. Do you think that was the heart of God? Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. Why was it important for Him to make this statement? Because how many people had been caught under this religious law of you have to do this and you have to do that, and they just kept piling on and piling on, and it wasn't about God. It was about having the power to tell people what they could and couldn't do. And Jesus said, I'm not breaking the cup. I'm filling it. These people who created these laws, they are like whitewashed tombs in which they paint the outside to make it look nice, but on the inside it's dirty and nasty and gross. (laughs) Kind of like this cup. On the outside it looks clean. I made sure that I got all the junk off of it. But if you look on the inside, 
there's this nasty coffee film stuck down at the bottom. I don't bother to clean it. I mean, if you put warm coffee in there, it just dissolves it and cleans it itself. And then I just drink it and I put it up again. I mean, it's not a big deal. I don't have to worry about that. The outside looks good. When Jesus talks about fulfilling the law, the the word actually means to fill. What he's saying is, if you want to follow me, it's not just about doing what you're called to do. It's about being filled with the Spirit and doing it not so you can look good, but so that you can have the Spirit of Jesus Christ living in you. It's the fulfillment of the law. The Old Testament vessel. In many ways it was empty by the people who followed it. But Jesus calls us to be filled. I want to ask you this question. How would your life change if the Spirit of Jesus Christ was just filling you to overflowing? Have you ever been in a religious funk before? It's okay to say yes. Because I think if we're all really honest, there are times in our life where our cup is kind of empty. I mean, we're going through the motions. We make sure it looks nice on the outside. But maybe we sit in church sometimes. We don't really want to sing. Or we're thinking about the golf course or nap time or something else. What happens when our cup gets empty? We lose the heart of Jesus. The motivation that Jesus talked about last week in being the salt and the light had nothing to do with us being good, nice people. It's being a people who respond to His love and being passionate about serving Him and worshiping Him. It's about a relationship, not a religion. It's the problem that Jesus saw several thousand years ago, and it's a problem that still plagues us today, is being filled with Jesus. It's not easy. It's something that takes a lot of work. But more than that, it takes passion. Every time I would read these next six antitheses is what they call them because Jesus would say, uh, you have heard this, but I say do this. It has been said this, but you should do this. I always thought, man, Jesus is just keep pushing us to go further and further and further. But you know what I really think he's saying? He's pushing us to go deeper and deeper and deeper. Jesus didn't call us to be a mega church. He didn't call us to count the number of people we have in our pews. 
He called us to be followers of Him, to be His disciples. And that's my challenge for each one of us this morning. It's the challenge that I have for myself when I see my cup getting empty, is how can I be a deeper follower of Jesus? That's what He's called us to. Jesus fulfilled the law, not just by talking about it, but by living it. This morning, that invitation is still open to us. He calls us not to go further, but to love deeper. And to be the salt and light to this world. He offers an opportunity for you to be buried. Not with dirt, but in water. And to rise again just as He rose with Him being in your life. They call that immersion or baptism. And it's something that we offer to you this morning. If you want to be filled with Jesus and begin anew, that opportunity is available. If you found that your cup is empty and you need help getting it filled up, we want you to know that we're people who are always trying to get our cup filled again. And in doing so, we fill others. And if there's any way that we can support you in that, we're going to give you an opportunity to come in in just a moment as we sing a song that we call the invitation song. And you can come forward and say, I want my cup to be full. I want to be the salt and the light. And I want to make a difference at my house and at my school and at my work and everywhere that I go in the grocery store. And when I go out to eat, I want the waiter to know that I'm the salt of the earth. And not an upset, belligerent person who's mad about not getting their right food. I want to be a person who shows and shines and glorifies Jesus. That opportunity is available to you. Some of you have gotten to the point maybe where your cup is getting low and maybe it's completely empty. And you need the prayers of our shepherds to begin filling you back up again. And we have opened up that opportunity. And as we sing this song of encouragement and invitation, if you'll go back that way in the hallway, there's the family life room. Go in there and we'll have a shepherd placed back there who will pray with you and help you get your cup full again. If there's any way that we can help you, please come as we stand and sing. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of...